0: Ta-da. Good evening, everybody. Welcome, John Henry Soto, here along with George Batista. Welcome to Counterparts. Very excited, very excited tonight. We have Kelly Hall Thompson is going to be on the show. We're going to be talking about so much stuff. I mean, we just had about a five-minute conversation about so many things, and I'm so thrilled to bring this to you. It's going to be tremendously valuable and inspiring. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. <music> righty, and there's our little theme song. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you danced. Um, want to thank everybody for
1: tuning in. Uh, George, how are you? I'm fantastic and excited to have this conversation today.
0: Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Kelly and we'll uh, bring her on.
1: Bye-bye. Oh, definitely, definitely. So Kelly Hall. Tompkins what can we say she's a professional violinist and the founder of music kitchen food for the soul a program that lifts the spirits of homeless new yorkers through live classical music recitals she has also she has also performed as the fiddler as a violin soloist in the grammy and tony nominated broadway revival production of fiddler on the roof she has also appeared as soloist with orchestras including dallas symphony Oakland Symphony, Jacksonville Symphony, just to name a few. And in addition to numerous concerts and recitals in cities all around the world, she is acclaimed by the New York Times as the versatile violinist who makes the music come alive. And as a 2017 New York Times New Yorker of the Year for her tonal mastery and groundbreaking recording projects and john i know you are as excited as i am Absolutely. to speak with her so let's do it let's bring up ladies and gentlemen kelly hall tomkins All right.
0: thank, you so thank you so much thank you so much for doing this we really really appreciate you being on the show um it's been it's been a week of watching uh and learning so much about you and not just the amazing music and the accomplishments, but also the things that you do with your music outside of like the major concert halls. I just thought that was so inspiring to me. And, I, and as somebody who works in that industry as well, it was just really just uh, in, incredible. So I'm really looking forward to having a conversation here and uh, just having a, an hour of good chat. How are you?
2: Excellent. Thanks very much for your interest and thanks for inviting me on.
0: Absolutely. So, as I said, George is like the uh, the professional one. He has he has <laughs> the all these professional, professional yeah. questions. Yeah, right,
1: right. <laughs> Go for all it. Right. George. Absolutely. Well, first of all, um, I want to I want to start. You know, when you were young, obviously you you were drawn to this music i know you had support from your from your family you know your mom i know was a huge support you know and i know you got exposed to classical music uh, young and I, I know also you you've talked about in the past like uh cartoons like actually yeah. you got inspiration yeah. from cartoons and stuff like that That's right. what what was it about this music that that called you because sometimes i i say sometimes right that um Sometimes music picks you, like sometimes you don't pick the music. What was it about this music that drew you in?
2: Oh, it lifted me up. It inspired my imagination. I loved the, um, the dance of it. I loved the lyricism. I loved the bass lines. I loved the choreography with, in terms of the cartoons, I loved the, the match with the choreography of the animation. Yeah. Right. Um, I also grew up Lutheran, so just hearing the, the Baroque music of Bach, um, all of it together. I think I sifted the music out of my environment from commercials, from, you know, from church, from from Warner Brothers cartoons, just all of it. I really um, I just was taken with it. Mm-hmm. And it felt like it felt like a, a language that I need. Did we
1: lose her. Uh-uh. She just froze there. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, did we
0: lose Kelly? Oh, there she is. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, She's
2: been... for, for a second there.
0: Okay, so, um, we uh we lost you at um the music, um, the cartoons. Um, where was what was the last time? <laughs> <laughs> well, the choreography, the, the right, right, of, right, right, li-
2: exactly. right. I just felt um i just felt called by all of it you know both it, it, i sifted the music out of my environment everywhere that i was whether it right. was saturday morning cartoons on tv or sunday morning baroque music on ch- uh, at church or commercials i mean i think i just i was in the same environment as all the rest of my friends in elementary school but i'm the one that that looked for the music everywhere i could find it Hello and amazing. Uh, yeah so when i finally went to uh here i think we had an organized trip to go hear the local orchestra in my town in greenville south carolina and i was just hanging over the balcony watching them play and then when a string quartet came to my elementary school i was done i was like that that's what i want to do
0: awesome i was going (laughs) to ask you like when was it that day that the strings uh, hit you, <laughs> but that was it.
2: <laughs> well, it was nine years, when I was nine years old, I think. I, I can't remember if it was the very same year that I started or if it was the, the spring before I actually got to take the classes. I'm not sure, yeah. um, but I th- it was pretty fast.
0: Yeah, yeah. You always remember that, too. Like, I remember, because I, I grew up in a Spanish family. I'm from New York. I'm from the Bronx, and my grandfather would play these amazing songs with this great guitar you know spanish guitar but then i heard santana on the radio once and i was like what is that right. <laughs> I, mean, I want that in my life you know yeah and then yeah, from right. that moment on i just the guitar and that sound just became uh it's just an amazing thing that you just it's hard to explain yeah it's to but explain. yeah it's, but it is just something that you just can't it's like george, george is a drummer an amazing drummer and he just took to hitting things.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it was <laughs> kind of weird. I, it's true. And I, I, music like for me, and I, you know, I, I, maybe for you, music was always in my life as a, as a child. I, my mother used to tell me stories that when she would put the washing machine on, I would, ro- you know, stand there and just rock to it. And so she always kind of knew that I was going to do something in music, you know. So, um, but it's just it's just calling that you have that you just it's always there. In a way. No matter what even when i'm not playing, I'm not playing, I, playing. I want to be playing you know play. it's that type of thing yeah, so right. it's, it's yeah. an amazing so, feeling amazing. yeah
2: it really yeah. is yeah
0: so
1: i wanted In to ask too. but
2: anyway oh is he
1: oh nice, yeah.
0: oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, nice.
2: <laughs> very
0: good excellent and george and i are cousins um I so saw that. We, yeah. Yeah, yeah so we played long yeah so we have a lot of uh stories you know we keep the embarrassing ones quiet that's kind of like our <laughs> <laughs> we have that rivalry between each other. Um, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about like your first, you know, because playing at that level that you play in, you know, there, there's, a, there's a moment that you really need to kind of focus. And and we, we see a lot of artists today with the TikToks and the stuff. And, you know, they, it seems like you can be famous within like 10 seconds of doing a little dance or something and not realizing that, the level of work that's needed and the commitment to play at that level, it's so intense, you know, that I, I feel, I get nervous sometimes. And we talk about this on the show a lot. We're losing, you know, we're losing that idea that the intensity needed to play at that level is, is this. It's not whatever you see on this, on the on the little box. You know, the box is, is fun, but it's not real life, you know? Well, how's your process when you were, when you were studying at the beginning, did you do the, the, the religious rehearsals, the 10 hour rehearsals, or were you, were you more uh, free or were you just born completely talented <laughs> with skill? Well,
2: that's a really interesting perspective comparing like just the tools of today and and whatnot and how people envision success. And I do think um, I have come to learn in my life that there's no one way, there's no one path. Right you know, that people get to various places, different ways. However, I totally believe what you're saying. And I I would have, it would be a shame if we lose the sense of focus that requires to, to master something at a high level. um, That's not a a 10 minute, yeah. 10 minute TikTok video. It's true. We, I mean, the thing that I learned over time is that in my field, people tend to start at, particularly violin or a piano, tend to start at age three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I started at nine, but it was, and I used to be so self-conscious about that for years. Hmm. Um, But until I was actually, it was was until, uh, not until I was on an interview on MSNBC alongside Misty Copeland
1: Huh. We started at oh, wow.
2: fourteen, right? I officially put that to bed. <laughs> <And I> was, <laughs> okay, right now I see people do yeah. different things differently, and there's no one way. And I, yeah. I also came to understand that passion about something is so much more powerful than someone saying you should do this. Uh-huh. And so I'm glad that I came to it on my own, and I didn't have somebody say you should do this right. because I I think I came to it sort of fired up and ready to shoot through a cannon, right? And uh, I had to do a lot of work to you know, and my mom and I were exposed to the 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 path, really Mm -hmm. that you have to take and we learned it together, like piece by piece, like, oh, okay, I didn't have private lessons for the first uh, five years of playing the violin, I only played in a in as elementary school strings class, Hmm. then somebody came along and said, you should audition for the youth orchestra. And yes, we definitely want you in the youth orchestra, but you should be having private lessons. Call these people. And, you know, and then at, at that point, things just really started to go on a fast trajectory. And, yeah. you know, I went to a, this the next level teacher and I entered the pre-college program and, and the teacher said, you're one of the best violinists in the country in your age group. You should be studying at places like Tanglewood in the summer. Wow. Right. Then, you know, I went to Tanglewood and then I went to Aspen and then I, you know, and then, um, it was a question of where to go to college. And in my family, you know, my mom was used to great universities and I was like, but I want to go to a conservatory and this is what that looks like, but Um, not knowing exactly what kind of it, I mean, I wanted a rigorous education and I wanted to make sure that it was very complete and, and, um, you know, not light on anything. So I wasn't sure what that looked like. So I cast a wide net. I auditioned for nine schools. And my mom took me to every single one of them, I think. I think everyone except one or maybe all of them. I, I think actually it was all of them. Wow. And yeah, so I really had a, a a wide selection process. And I went into it with my eyes open. And and um, I chose the Eastman School of Music um, to, to do my undergrad. And then I did my, Manha- uh, my master's at Manhattan School. I had gotten into Juilliard as well. And uh, full scholarship at Manhattan School so you know wow. Uh, the choice <laughs> clear. But yeah there, it's a it's a process it's a path. I didn't when I was a kid, I didn't necessarily know how to practice right away. I, mm. but what I did I think was also powerful. I just wanted to be able to play it the way that I could hear it. that's mm, all I. Right. Wanted. That's all I wanted. I just wanted yeah. to be able to play it the way the way I wanted to hear it
0: right uh, the right. way I
2: was hearing it in my mind. And so that was the carrot at the end of the stick that I never could quite catch up with. And that's what kept me chasing. And I think it, that plus the, the addition, you know, of private lessons, plus the addition of these summer camps just made me kind of shoot like a cannon, even right. with a, a more of a late start, because I just had the passion for it.
0: I love it. And you, you mentioned shoot like a cannon. It's important, that, you know, when kids um, to not tell them you should do this or you should do that and let that cannon be shot with their own spark, you know what I mean, their own, their own strength, you know, rather than have someone push you in that direction. Like I have two kids, and, you know, I bought a keyboard. My daughter was like, I want a keyboard. And I was like, all right, I bought a keyboard. She kind of struggled a little bit with it, so she can, and I'm not pushing her to it. You know, I got guitars all over the place, um, and my son is, you know, not, but I, I want to give them the gift of music, so I play stuff for them. You know I play listen to this. I want you to listen to this. I want you know and give them right, that because right. that, that's really where the joy comes from. You know? Um so many kids, um I grew up in the inner city. So I remember being in school one day and we were going down the stairs to lunch and there was this little boy on one side and we two rows and I was on this side and he was a singer. He sang. And one of the <laughs> the other kids was like you be singing like you be singing? You know and the kid was like Yeah you know I sing. And and then it started like this little kind of like making fun of the kid. And I remember instinctively, I was like, that's not okay. I mean, I was only whatever, seven or eight years old, but I knew that that was not okay. And there's this thing in the inner city about doing stuff that's outside the box as far as like, you know, music, for instance, is a a big, classical music is even, even bigger, you know, but like I was, uh, I was playing the blues. Who's who's playing the blues and, and, (laughs) Stop, <laughs> nobody, nobody, yeah. really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Even though we were all singing the blues, but you know, nobody was really playing the blues. And uh, so that became like a, a real important thing for me to try to communicate now to young people that it's like, you know, if you feel it then that's yours. Right. right.
2: That, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, you know, I, it's not just the inner city. I mean, I grew up in a, in a small city in South Carolina and I didn't fit in anywhere. Mm. um no one understood me you know the black kids didn't understand me the white kids didn't understand me that you know I was in my kind of own world especially when I was in a um when I was in my regular high school like by the time I got to high school I started to go to two different high schools I went to a fine arts school Mm. um it was a public it was a public uh magnet school and it was Mm. amazing and then I but I left my regular high school um courses and I did all that there and then I would go to this and that was really the first place in my hometown where I really felt like I belonged because right. there were, it's like, Oh, you know, here's a place where I don't have to get, I don't have to wait till I go to college. Here's a place where we all love the arts and we right. we all get it. And we, we, we live for this stuff. We swim in it and we can excel and we can just sort of um, marinate every day and in the, in the courses and the music and, yeah, so yeah, I mean in elementary school, I had kids that wanted to beat me up. You know, they didn't like the way I talked.
1: <laughs> right, they didn't like right, the fact right,
2: right, right, right. I played a violin, they just didn't get it. And um, that was that was kind of tough. But I think I, I found myself mm-hmm. in all of that. And I was never I was never cowered by it. It's like you you hmm. know you're really missing out on this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really care what you think. But yeah. it was it was a tough, tough going just to try to figure out why. Why am I so different than everyone around me? Why is it so hard to find a place where I fit? Yeah, and um, I'm not. Yeah, I think it's a really important part of your journey to just yeah. have the fortitude to to stay the course. Absolutely. Yeah, and
0: I, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll stop talking in a minute, George, and let you. Ask that. <laughs> I but I also felt that way too, where I, I I felt almost sorry for the ones that didn't get it. I'm like, how can exactly. you not? listen to this and be blown away. And then why why are you even talking? You know, the people sometimes when you're listening to music and someone starts talking, I don't know about you guys, but that to me is like,
1: that that drives me nuts.
0: I I have my headset on and my wife comes up.
2: Yeah, like, you're not focusing on it. You're not. Yeah. like you're, not, you're, missing, you're missing. You're missing
0: it. it. Yes. What are yes. Julie, stop talking. Pay attention. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's such a. It's so funny. All right. I'm sorry. Jeff. Yeah. No.
1: I, and I agree. It's that. And it's. It's funny because there are there are times where I'm listening and I'm driving and and I'm listening to a piece of music that I've heard a hundred times, but mm. for whatever reason that day it sounds like a brand new piece of music to me. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. You know. Wow. All of a sudden, my wife will start talking. And I'm like, no. <laughs>
0: Yeah. but
1: uh but but growing up you you had you had something that you know not everybody has you had a very supportive mom right she really helped you out was there any was there any point d- during your journey where you were like you know do I keep doing this or do I do something else or did your mom say oh okay you need a backup plan that type of thing or was it straight ahead
2: she didn't really understand um, you know, we didn't have a professional musicians in our family, and my mm-hmm. mom had had two careers. She was on her second career by the time I was in high school. Um, she started out as a psychologist, and she was a computer engineer. All my mom is all things excellence. I don't care what it is, well, wow. you're going to do wow. it at the at the top level. You that's know, awesome. wow. that's that's my mom. So I learned that you know, uh, whatever I didn't come into the world with, I definitely got from my mom in terms of drive and excellence and precision and, and, and quality and, and, uh, integrity of work and all of those things. Uh, I definitely came from through the lens of my mom's influence, but yeah, she was concerned. You know, she was like, well, maybe you want to get a a nine to five and I, I, even in high school, I was like, no, I'm not not, not going to do that. And she's like, but what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know, but I'll figure it out. Wow. You know, and I just had this sense of conviction. Yeah. I didn't know, but I was like, no, I'm not going to get another kind of job. No, I'm going to, I'm going to be a violinist from wow. the start. Amazing. And, um, you know, then you get a little bit more, uh, reality as you're about to graduate and you're and you are a little concerned, like, what am I going to do? But then these things start to fall into place. I mean, I'm, I'm a go-getter. I never, leave it to chance they don't just fall into place by themselves but but still there are a lot of unanswered questions and um you know it's it's a leap of faith and some wonderful things happen you know i when i moved to new york to go to manhattan school of music um suddenly for the first time ever i was a runner-up at the new york philharmonic audition the very first time i did a an orchestra audition i was runner-up at the new york philharmonic so i started subbing with them and that was this major development in my life. And actually, I happened to be in the orchestral master's program at Manhattan School of Music. So it was, you know, I was concert master at the in the orchestras at Manhattan School as well and got some terrific opportunities. Meanwhile, on the other sphere, I was doing a lot of solo playing, but I didn't really con- consider that a viable path. I was mm-hmm. like, well, that's nice. But really, right. this is the only practical thing over here. Okay. And so I had an orchestral career in the beginning. But then the, you know, I just was pulled to consider, like, you have to face this reality that you feel yourself as a soloist. And what yeah. are you going to do about it? Uh-huh. Are right. you going to ignore continue to tamp that down and ignore it? And, or are you going to, it's like, now is the time for choosing, you know? Right. So Absolutely. Like the, the internal directors in me one day was just like, now's the time for choosing. What wow. do you choose? And wow. I was like, I leave the orchestra behind, and I will be a soloist.
0: Wow! So when you made, <laughs> cause I'm scared just even thinking about that. But <laughs> but when you made that decision, do you? Is it one of those things where you remember like where you were and that moment? Oh, yeah. Really, wow. Well,
2: it wasn't one day. It took me years. It feels like it took me too long, mm-hmm. but I, at the same time, I've I have come to understand that I needed all of that time in an orchestra for so many reasons. I'm never going to hundred percent leave the orchestra behind because right. it's so in my bones, and I know the repertoire so well. Yeah. I now accept limited engagements as concertmaster because I just I just love that repertoire, and I don't want to yeah. say goodbye to it. So I think that. The years that I spent playing in my, my major job, which was the New Jersey Symphony, you know uh, I played in a year in Spain, I played with the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra for you know whatever. but the major job that I spent for 13 years was with the New Jersey Symphony. and um, I think I needed that time. I chastised myself for not leaving sooner, but mm. in hindsight, I now realized that it was, it was good incubation for all kinds of things. Right. I discovered myself as a public speaker there. I Mm -hmm. kind of discovered my first entrepreneurial, uh, you know, leanings in that Mm -hmm. job because of various situations of, you know, grants that I received as an orchestral player there that I was able to apply to this and this and that project. So i kind of had a chance to try some things out. And then I knew I was building up to taking a leave of absence, which I knew I was not going to return from. So Mm -hmm. I decided that I would not take that leave of absence until I was sure. And um, I knew I wasn't coming back, but I didn't communicate that to anyone. And I just wanted to try it out. It was, a, you know, kind of a major test balloon. Yeah. And yeah. at the end of the second year, they said, "Okay, well, come on back." I said, "Well, actually, thank <laughs> you very much." Hello.
0: Hello. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. But the first year that I left, I mean, I'm very grateful for that time. And it was, sure. as I said, it was. Yeah. Uh, it, it made me part of, it, it made me who I am. And again, I used to feel very self-conscious about being a soloist that started out as an orchestral career, but yeah. no one yeah. knows the orchestra better than I do. That's right. Because right. of that yeah. time, That's no right. one knows the orchestra. And I think yeah. that sometimes people who are just groomed to be a, to be a soloist or are, are groomed in a certain way, um, not with necessarily a holistic picture of mm. the, of the works. Right. But I think that, It's a really very special opportunity to be able to know a composer in as many genres of that composer as possible. I'm not a pianist, so I will never be able to play the Beethoven piano sonatas and concertos from that perspective, but I've played the Beethoven piano concertos, all five of them. You know, mm. and I've played the the overtures and I've played the orchestral pieces and I've played the string quartets. So I feel like when I stand up to play the Beethoven Violin Concerto, I have that much more information in my, in cells yeah. about exactly. what this music is. And I feel really good about that. It took me a yeah. while to realize, again, like I said in the beginning, there's no one path to get right. to right. anything. Right. And I really value my path, but it was... Um, but it was the right thing for me to do. I'm, I am a thinker beyond, a, you know, um, a setting where, you know, where everything is predetermined and pre-decided and mm-hmm. I don't have a part of that process. That's not who I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm someone that likes to determine my own destiny, to determine Absolutely. what music I'm going to play, okay. dream up projects. And um, I live the life of, of doing that, creating okay. as I see fit. <laughs>
0: I love that. And wow. don't you feel that that like sometimes when you're in it, you know when you're in life and you're kind of making all these decisions, and you're thinking like you said earlier, you know, like you think you might have stayed too long, but then in hindsight, you look at it and sometimes when you go through all these things and then you look back and it wasn't really it was a, a beautifully crafted novel, actually, what it, it was,
2: really? you exactly know, right.
0: and it goes exactly the way it should have gone, you know, and it's like you need those kinds of things to make. First of all, you want to be able to have a life of of challenges and you want to have a life of overcoming things so you can inspire others. And then right. when you look back on it, you're like, man, that was actually the right thing at that yeah. time. Yeah. I needed that, you know. So I love I love to hear the that that insight on it. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Absolutely. So tell me how the Fiddler came about. Ooh, now we're, well, not,
0: now to we're to rock go. and rolling.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, well, I was. Uh, I remember being, my husband and I were on vacation in Italy, and I got a call from someone who had seen my work as a soloist. I think I forgot to mention that one of my first forays into this solo world was this imagination project that I recorded right out of the barrel. It was Mm -hmm. before everybody was doing videos because of a pandemic. I did the first classical music video. I mean, not the first, but it it, it kind of made a big... Uh, It was it was a big coming out of the gate moment for me Mm. leaving the orchestra world. And I was able to get a million views on on that project. And um, so somebody called me um, when I was in Italy on vacation who had seen my work, both as concertmaster of an orchestra in Carnegie Hall, the New York Pops, and also had seen my imagination project and and not not only the playing, but what it did in the world Mm -hmm. um, of creating this sort of. You know, interesting splash and opening, and he called and asked if I would be interested. And I honestly wasn't sure. I I knew Broadway was there, and I I admire it, but I wasn't totally sure if that was something that was my calling. And then I th- I thought, what am I crazy? You know, um, even if it's not something that I stay with forever, it's it's gonna be an experience of a lifetime. And that was the biggest understatement of a lifetime. <laughs> it, is, it is one of the, the grandest uh, and and most poignant personal and professional experiences of my life. I, wow. I treasure every one of those days. And my, you know, my husband had played a lot of Broadway as a sub okay. and he said, you're probably going to want to take a couple of shows off a week. So you don't, you know, so you don't burn out. Right. And, I went in the opposite direction. I played every one of those eight shows and, and wow. on, because we had such, it was such an incredible and unique life experience for me, but, but mostly driven by the fact that we had an incredible company mm-hmm. and yeah. I was so inspired um, by, you know, Danny Burstein was our mm-hmm. Tevya, mm-hmm. and Jessica Hecht was our Golda and the you know, Bartlett Shear was the director, and this gorgeous staging, and the and all of the actors just brought the music to life, and they embraced me as the fiddler, and they gave me they wrote music that wasn't normally in right. the Broadway for right. right. me, and so then I had this clay to mold every night, and uh, to be able to play off of one another, uh, the actors, and it was this incredible laboratory of artistry that I got to explore every night and, and a tremendous responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and when that light goes off, I'm the first thing that's heard. Ooh. And it's, um, <laughs> and I was the last thing that's heard at the end. And Bless. lots of, lots of moments in the middle where I was the only one playing or where it was, a, you know, it was the poignant statement to something that's happened on stage. And um, it was a, a tremendous and sobering responsibility, but it was, so deeply inspiring and so moving. And I just, um, I just loved it so very much. That's and so I, I, I loved our our little Anatevka and um, being able to grow as a company every mm-hmm. night, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did have some pre contracted concerts mm-hmm. that I would leave occasionally not in the very beginning, you know how that works. But yeah. eventually I had some pre contracted concerts that I would go away for. And I hate, I mean, I love my concerts, but I hated right. being away. Right. right. <laughs> I always felt like there was a, 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 I got out of the rhythm. Everybody else yeah. is in this rhythm. And we were in this rhythm together. And then it's like, okay, I got to get back in. Okay, we're in this rhythm together. Yeah. And we're doing this, you know, and, and he did this, so I did that. And she did that, and so I did this, you know. And it's just, yeah. it was just this incredible synergy, and um, yeah, I loved I it. That. I loved it so much. It's do, a
1: do, dance. Do, <laughs> do, Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel and like
2: maybe I'm not being clear? Did I say that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: But, but tell us, did you love it? Yeah. How did you really feel? Know, you know I what don't I mean. Think I actually said yet how I felt. About it. But did you? Do you? Do you? Uh, are you the type of person that thrives on those moments, those pressure moments? Not everybody does. I mean, some people are like, oh my god, I can't do it. But are you the type of person that really like kicks it into gear in those moments?
2: I must be. I don't. Right. I don't like huge pressure moments, but I. I always come to my. You, best you just work. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. And, um, you know, there are pl- like everybody else. You know, there there are plenty of things that you're not happy with. But huh. um, but I found that Broadway was the most. You know, in many ways, it was the most pressure of anything that I had done in the classical world because it's always on. Right. You know, yeah. no matter what, you're you're a soloist tonight. No matter what else happens, you're a soloist <laughs> tonight. The tra- the trains are are. Are w- running with delays doesn't matter. You're a soloist yeah, today. That's right. You Who know, kills the
0: week. Like, I mean. Oprah,
2: Oprah's <laughs> in the audience. You know, uh, the the prime minister of Israel's in the audience. Whatever. you sol- <laughs> It's not Roman's in the audience. <laughs> wow. You're a soloist. Oh my tonight, god. You know? like that. Forget it. And, I- uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it, it was a really incredible. It's the first. It was actually the first window through which I could meet the world as a performing yeah. artist because. Uh, yeah. I yeah. think. You know the classical world is amazing and i and i love classical music but i i said from my time there that i think the classical world could learn a thing or two from broadway um mm, just, just the idea just who comes through those doors and who yeah. you're yeah. playing for every night yeah. uh, it was really kind of an incredible part of the experience
0: and it was one of the most successful uh, revivals of any show in the history of broadway i mean it was it was humongous i, I have a, a tech question which is kind of be a She's gonna show how dorky I am, but um when you're when you're playing, the you do you have a a, a camera of the because there's a fiddler on the stage. He's a dancer. and a dance, right? And he's and he has to mimic. I know I know that you know I think you spent some time with him, right? To actually show him how to hold it and how to, you know. Um, do you have visual of him? Is he on a camera? Can you see him from, yeah. from where you are? <laughs> This is my well, this is, really, it's, it's, go through my head.
2: <laughs> no, this was it's a very good question because my time on this show was the very first time in the Fiddler on the Roof history that they bifurcated the role of Fiddler. You know there was, uh, you know, usually the know person that. that you see on stage is the person playing. But they went in, they went in a direction with cam with the casting that was not a Hamilton style of casting. Right. It was a more traditional. Right. Right. Um, I guess I don't fit that. You know, <laughs> so um, they decided I we've got a soloist, so let's explore the full extent of that, and we've got a dancer, and let's explore the full um, capacity with that. So. The dancer that played the fiddler, Jesse Kowarski, did things that even the other dancers could not all uh, replace him on. He, uh, our production, they flew him seventy-two feet above the stage for that for that wow. interpretation of the fiddler's movement. Yeah, and uh, that was a unique role in his case, and mine mine was a unique role in my case. But
0: wow. there was
2: very little in the Broadway score that actually calls for solo music from the person which is why it was a little easier to accomplish in the in the old days but as they increased my role musically they also increased jesse's role in imitation or in interpretation of that sound not everything but they but more and more they decided to bring the to have the visual fiddler representing the sound that i was making so i kind of took it upon myself to um to train him. He he had a year of violin lessons in his childhood past, mm-hmm. and so it wasn't starting from absolute zero. So I just right. kind of took it on myself to do that, and it kind of became part of the language of the Bartlett Shear production because now I've been mm-hmm. hired as a consultant to to train the touring fiddlers for each of the touring companies that have been out since our production. Um, so it was unofficial in our production. It has become official <laughs> <laughs> and so, basically, from a technical standpoint, to answer your question, they had yeah. to figure out. I I helped the company figure out how to make his violin stay silent. You know, because when you put a bow on the string, it's that's going right. To make it's going to make noise, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. I was teaching him how to look realistic, but but not make sounds that would be so easily identifiable as not right, what click, I'm saying. So. <laughs> so we came up with a variety of things. Um, first, we tried putting no rosin on the bow because the bow is is uh, designed to work with friction. Sure, and right. When you put the stickiness of rosin, that's what grabs the string and causes right. the friction. So we tried that. That's not enough because you still hear <sighs> <Right>.
0: yeah, <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. And,
2: um, so then, I think after that, we put a we put a felt sub like a secondary bridge. You know, the bridge is what keeps the strings up and allows yes. you to put your fingers right. down. Yes. But we put a felt oh, okay underneath the strings so that they're stopped. You right, know, they are exactly. yeah. touching just literally just a non-resonant on, yeah. thing, right. and so that cuts it down a lot more. Okay, not nothing, but but it's no longer perceivable from the yeah, you know, from after like the first row or something. Okay. So, Yeah, there were some technical. Oh, and then because he does so much movement, and holding a bow is not, you know, very conducive to that movement. We right. put a string around his wrist that was attached to the bow, so that if you know, it he, it if he slipped. Oh. it slipped, oh, would
0: actually fall. Interesting. So Look at that. <laughs> see, yeah, that's, that's, why I, that's
1: why I asked. Why I asked? See the little but, things you don't even think about, right? Know, <laughs> totally. Isn't wow.
0: theater? I mean, like, musical theater is like so dynamic. Like, and I, you know, I've been to Lincoln Center, and uh, um, I remember I had tickets. Somebody gave me tickets at, at a job that I had, and I took my niece, and we were sitting like three rows out, and this orchestra came out, and I was, I was first time, and I was already an adult, but I sat there, and I was like blown away like as soon as they went (laughs) and my niece just looked at me like she was like i think i changed her life i mean she's like it was like an incredible moment and and even on broadway you know broadway does such a good job of presentation and just bringing you into this world that you shouldn't it's not rational for you to go in but for some reason this music starts and these images start and and you just you're you're, you're lost for like for whatever the show is. It's just so it's such a beautiful thing. I just love it. And that's just me just yeah. kind of going off topic. And well, I, it's funny. <laughs>
2: no, no, that's great. I mean, the music. You feel music deeply, and I relate yeah. to that uh, yeah. tremendously. Absolutely. I re- I played an additional six months after Fiddler on Sunset Boulevard. Right. And that oh. for that we were on stage, and the orchestra became like rock stars to people who came. You know. To hear this production. It is so funny. Um, you know, I would sign some autographs as Fiddler as people learned who I was through media coverage because oh, couldn't see me. but right, in Sunset right. Boulevard they could see us and I had an extended solo with Glenn Close and whatnot. But this one woman I'll never forget said, um, she's like, Oh my gosh, the orchestra, this sounds so great. I mean, you you, they Should just have that, like, just like they should just have an orchestra, like, where you could just come and hear an orchestra, and that would, you know, they, they do. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's actually thing. been, a, <laughs> that's I
0: really think, that was a thing before. <laughs> <laughs> I think before bless. Fiddler, that was a thing,
2: bless our heart, as we say in this, episode.
1: exactly. That's that's so, that's so, <laughs> that's so funny, like, just do that. Yeah. <laughs> what a concept right yeah exactly I love it. um and i know doing sunset boulevard you um you got to meet andrew lloyd weber right yes how was so, that
2: oh it was wonderful it was really great oh. to uh to work with him and to you know the first time he came was our Zitz probe mm, the, the right. final rehearsal mm-hmm. before rehearsal, we opened yeah. and he gave me a, a sort of a special um you know recognition of my solos that I think knocked a lot of the, the leaderships uh, sort of knocked them off their feet just because he doesn't often do that.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. Wow. That is awesome.
0: That's that's great. So I want to, oh, 40 minutes. (laughs) So I I wanted to talk, I I want to talk a little bit about, uh, the work that you do with the music kitchen. I know that was uh, started in 2005 and um, I saw a lot of coverage on that as well. And, and it's one of those things that I've always, um, we just had the conference um, in Seattle, which was for the national, um, the the national healthcare for the homeless council, which I'm a, I'm a part of for their social media. And we just went there and, you know, one of the things that I've always loved is, bringing things to not just that community but just to 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 communities that don't have access to this type of music you know and it's like one of those things that you kind of like why just this hasn't gone there it doesn't make any sense because i remember listening to it in the cartoons as well you know what i mean and it was like wonderful to see bugs bunny coming out and being chased and you know it was just like it was awesome so what was your inspiration for like saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do a music kitchen. And, and, um, how did that come about?
2: Well, uh, the catalyst was, was when I was preparing for a solo concert and I was looking for someone I was, there was, um, I was experiencing, uh, the death of a friend, you mm-hmm. know, so a friend of mine was dying. I actually happened to be the pastor at my church. Huh. And, um, I was so wrapped up with that because it was clear that he was in his final days mm-hmm. at the same time that I was preparing for a, a significant solo concert for me. And I typically like to play through the repertoire for people. And I usually do that for friends and colleagues because who could stand to hear, um, you know, a violin concerto with no accompaniment, right. but <laughs> other musicians, right? Exactly you know? right. right. So right. In, a, in a total pinch since I was, a, I was, uh, a, a, um, Volunteer cook. My husband was the coordinator of cooks. In a pinch, I played for the guys at the shelter, and I was I was feeling very guilt guilty about it because I thought they would hate it, but they they loved it so much. They asked me if I would come back the next night, wow. and I did. I said, "Well, I said, well, I can do that, but I'm preparing for this concert in a few days. I'm just going to play the same music again." They said that's okay. We want to hear it again. And they were also friends with the pastor who, who at that point had died. And they said, "Will you be playing for the funeral?" And I said, "Yes." And they said, "Could you play for us? You know what you're going to play for the funeral?" So wow. it was wow. this cathartic moment twice. And um, it really wasn't just about that experience. That was just kind of the catalyst. Hmm. But I really, I love sharing music with people. And I had some unique life experiences that I think became part of the, the, the soup of my thinking. And that was chamber music parties. Mm-hmm. And there was a there was one that I went to annually for a few years in Baltimore, and it was huge. It was about 300 people in this woman's mm-hmm. house, about 75 of which were players. And there okay. were people that you would never met before. There are people that you went to that festival with, or that you studied with in school or that you freelance with. And it was just this incredibly passionate array of people wanting to play great works of chamber music before the whole thing shut down for, the, for that year. Sure. And I found there were people that were members of professional string quartets at this party. Right. However, when people got together in spontaneous combinations, more magic would happen mm-hmm. in my mind than if you had hired these,
1: uh, a group right. of these
2: people to play a concert. And sure. I, that really stuck with me. And mm-hmm. so when I had this experience of just looking for a place to run through my solo music, really my default went back to that experience. And I thought it shouldn't clearly I need to, do something to bring music to people regularly, and sure. solo music is not the point. Right. Um, there's something magical about chamber music, mm-hmm. and there's something magical about when you bring people together, kind of semi-spontaneous, not spontaneously like they don't know they're coming, but but not right. that they p- not people who play together regularly. Because sure. at the time, I had this incredible group of people that I was playing with in a trio. I was so over the moon to play with the two of them. It would have been very easy for me to just say, my trio is going to do this. But I just had a sense that it's bigger than us, Mm. bigger than me. It's bigger than in one group. It's bigger than this trio. And I started inviting people, but very, very special people. Like I just, it's not just anybody who can play the notes right, but it's, I'm looking for something more that that spark that I remember, Mm -hmm. that passion, that spark that happens when certain kinds of artists come together. That's what I want to bring to them. And um, and so, yeah, I started Music Kitchen and somehow it kind of seems like a blink of an eye. We've presented over 100 concerts, over 200 top artists and reached an estimated 30,000 shelter clients.
0: Wow. Unbelievable. That's so amazing. I mean, it's it's one of those things where because you're you're sharing music, but you're also sharing uh, a a moment, you know, that they'll they'll associate. That music to a pleasure moment because that's what music does. It especially that you know uh, classical music, um, just spiritually, just in, in just fills you. And so if you can just connect it to that moment for the you know for people that are having you know a rough time and experiencing homelessness, you know it's one of those things that you really just can't put a price on and you can't really even explain. You know I mean I've, I've actually have gone through that I was homeless when I was a teenager and I remember a band uh, came to this shelter that I was with my mom and my brother and my sisters and this band came and they were a funk band you know they, they were just kind of a funk band but they were they were a family that would come in dressed up and they funk. and for that because we were all obviously you can imagine you know I was I think 15 years old, you know depressed as you can be but can, you can imagine how I felt. When they played, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to play like yeah, that. Sure. I want to do that. You know, it just kind of right. like, and for that spark, I mean, I'm, here I am at my age now, I'm still talking about it, you know, and, and I'll continue to talk about that. So that's just so well done. Uh, that's just so awesome. Um, oh, what is it there? What's the website? Um, I want to put it in the description and everything.
2: Musickitchennyc.org.
0: All right. So we'll put that in the description. Everybody check that out. and. Absolutely. Um, We want to, I don't want to forget some, I don't forget anything. (laughs) (laughs) So you have a, we talked a little bit about this. You are now a filmmaker. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm very excited because I want, first I want you to tell us a little bit about your experience in Carnegie Hall. You know, Oh my God. That's number one. And number two is like, then you filmed and you put something together that's very, very meaningful and very special. Again, with the theme that we were just discussing. Can you talk us through a little bit of that?
2: Yeah, so um, in Music Kitchen's 15 years, as we were approaching the 15th anniversary, we, I've collected very unique feedback since the very beginning, uh, colored note cards. I've just right. asked people to, to share your thoughts and feelings about the concerts, if you feel like it. And I have this incredibly unique body of, of feedback going back 15 years. And so when we were approaching the 15th anniversary, I decided I wanted to do something historic and unprecedented. And that is to choose um, to ask 15 award-winning composers to choose among that feedback to set it to a a song cycle that I entitled Forgotten Voices. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's very exciting to see that all come together. And for all these 15 award-winning composers from Pulitzer Prize winners to, um, you know, to up and coming emerging composers to... Rome and Guggenheim and whatever, all of these composers to be part of this project was so affirming for me and to affirm the voices of the shelter clients we've been serving. I had the idea to premiere the songs for the shelter first, but then I also wanted to have a grand hearing of the complete song cycle when it was finished, all the composite Fifteen songs. So I approached Carnegie Hall about uh, presenting the world premiere and they loved the idea. They wow. supported, they came on and supported the commissioning process and presented the world premiere of the complete song cycle, Zankel Hall. So like a lot of other things, we were postponed in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to be in, in May of 2020, but I'm super excited that it all came together and we sold out. Zankel wow. hall and we had that concert on march 31st it was wow. just incredible and so as part of that project since um since the comments were were do spin, i think what's unique about it is that they spend so much time this is not a fly-by-night operation it was really something that spans a lot of life experience over a decade and a half but because they are mostly anonymous and they go over such a long period of time i had the idea to also create a short film that we would show at Carnegie Hall, where we would invite clients that we've met in the near term to come on camera and tell their story if they chose. Mm -hmm. And so fortunately, just before the shutdown, before we knew what was coming, Mm -hmm. um, we interviewed four clients that we had met that year. And we created a film called Forgotten Voices, uh, sorry, Face to Face, Mm -hmm. Forgotten Voices Heard. And I'm super excited about it. Very proud of it. Um, it's a mini documentary. I worked with director Elliot Forrest, and we co-directed the film. And I and Music Kitchen produced it. And um, I think it's it's heartwarming. I think it um, it challenges our assumptions. It it introduces people um, who would otherwise not you know sort of be ignored in in our larger mm. society and I think it was the perfect complement to the song cycle in the world premiere concert mm. but now you know beyond the concert I'm really eager to share it and so we've submitted to quite a few film festivals <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a few <laughs> quite a few like
1: fantastic fantastic that's great that's amazing that's unbelievable so you know you're obviously you you've from beginning to end amazing career amazing things you have done and that you are doing okay for for the young artists that are out there who are starting out who want who who are you know whether it's music whether it's you know acting or whatever it is um what kind of advice do you have to them to, you know, to overcome these obstacles, to get to where they want to go, and to just live that passionate life that, like you're you yourself, are living and doing what they love to do?
2: Well, it just so happens that I gave a commencement address yesterday to fifteen thousand people <laughs> at Delphi University, so this is kind of on my mind. Wow. Um, well, I just I would say that you know every there's no one way to do anything, as I've already said in this conversation. I think that it's very, very important to follow one's voice and passion. And I think there are a lot of things that will try to take us away from that, from that voice, um, our doubts, our fears. And particularly when you're just starting out, I know a lot of people have these artificial deadlines that they say, if, if I don't get that audition, if I don't win, uh, if I don't get on Broadway by the time I'm blah, 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 then mm-hmm. I'm just going to give up and become sure. a banker. Or if I, you know, not that banking is not wonderful, but, right. but if people start out with a dream of doing of doing something, they should do that thing, you know? And right. um, there can be a lot of difficulty and disappointment and a lot of delays and, and things that don't turn out the way that you had hoped, but you kind of have to have a very... um I don't, I won't say single-minded, but a very focused intention Mm -hmm. to see it through. And it it, only, if you, if you love it enough, because otherwise it's just not worth it. And it's, it can be very difficult, but that has to be enough that drives you. And it's not the starving artist model. It's we're, you know, we're done with that. Mm -hmm. Artists should be paid, um, you know, for, for the beauty and, and the uh, the artistry and the skill that we bring to the society that we live in, that we're a part of. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, um, you know, there can be difficulty and, and disappointment and we have to kind of soldier through some of right.
1: that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that I think there's a, there's a certain element of not really being not, uh, not reading the tea leaves per se not not putting a finger in the wind but you do have to kind of know the rhythm of your time and have Mm -hmm. a develop a sense that's something that i said in my first commencement speech the rhythm of your time is a a phrase that keeps coming back to me Mm -hmm. you do have to kind of have a sense of it have a bit of a pulse on it but never be governed by something external Mm -hmm. you have to always be um oriented towards your own voice and really be willing to stick up for it and it's not always obvious that it's the right thing to do but i think it it's you know it, it's it's really tough yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how it's it's hard to, for me there's no straight line from when i started out to where i am now there's right. there's all kinds of crooks sure. and turns and yes, things that, exactly. but i sort of kept my eye on the you know i changed destination a little bit but you but essentially being a musician, being a violinist, that was always the destination. And, right. um, you know, exactly how that played out, I, I shifted. But yeah, I think I would just say, stay true to your voice, follow Absolutely. your passion. And it sounds like tropes, but it really is the most important thing that we can do. And I think that when we do that, what what is pulled from us is mm-hmm. the most valuable thing we can offer the world.
1: That's right. That's it.
2: You know, when you're going through the work a day, when you're just sort of going through the motions, you're just not, you're not as valuable to the world, though you may think you're doing the responsible thing. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that what is, what comes from us when we follow that sense of passion is, is more powerful than anything. Yeah.
0: It's that self-awareness of knowing where, where you are and what, and it's also a responsibility as an artist. If you can, if you can lift someone up with your art in any way, then yeah. you better do that. Cause we need it.
1: Exactly. You know, I mean? yeah. okay. you know the Definitely. world
0: needs it right now more than anything. And I Absolutely. think it's a responsibility that, that um it's, it. and I love what you said about the focus part, because I think that's really one of the things that, that we run into a lot. is like the focus just seems to be a little bit, there's too much going on. There's too much distractions on these little tiny boxes that, and and none of it is really um some of it can go out and maybe inspire someone i do a lot of social media i do that that's what i do for a living you know but i use it the social media platforms to try to inspire people rather than try to do whatever exactly but i think that the self-awareness is uh um so important um i just want to uh thank you so much because i mean this has been like such a joy to have you on here and to hear your your journey and that continues strong and to see the work that you're doing you know outside of Carnegie Hall in Carnegie Hall and using Carnegie Hall and using your your voice to really impact so many people that otherwise aren't going to either be heard or they're not going to be able to experience that joy that 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 you can bring so I want to thank you so much for for doing that we really appreciate you taking the time to be with to be with us here
1: Absolutely.
2: Thank you. It's been such a pleasure, such a joy. Thanks thank you
1: thank for you on. Thank you. Thank you. Woo. Wow, how inspiring was that, huh? I had,
0: like, I had like tears. Like I'm trying like not be a you know. I mean, I don't care. I'll cry, You know, but no. I mean, hey, listen, water watery it's, eye because it's, it's like this it's is being I
1: moved. Want. It's about being moved by the moment and by the inspiration of it. So I, 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 I was that was a pleasure. I, I was so excited.
0: All right, well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, all the information is going to be in the links below. Um, follow Kelly, uh, Music Kitchen, all that. Get involved. Really, really, uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, journey. And we're, we got to experience a little bit of that journey, and we're privileged for that. So want to thank you all for uh, for joining us. We'll see you all next week. Again, live, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And for Joy Batista, John Henry Soto, his counterparts, take care. And as always...